Behaviour is all communication. So this idea of good and bad, right and wrong, it doesn't exist. Children flow, as we do as adults. Some days we're feeling good and we're high and everything's wonderful. Other days things are challenging and feel heavy and we, we're not as cooperative, we're not as open, we're not as um, gentle, as kind. And when we understand that about um, our children and we understand what they actually need and we give them what they need, we want our children to feel good. So the idea of understanding behaviour, understanding what behaviour means, what misbehaviour means and what they're actually trying to say, giving them what they need, the misbehaviour goes away and everybody feels calmer, better, everything's more enjoyable. So I believe that parenting should feel good as the parents, so we should enjoy our parenting. I'm not saying it's not challenging, it is. We should enjoy our parenting and in turn our children feel good being parented. My Reset and Recondition 14-day New Year program is available now for 2024 and for only £29. You heard me right, it wasn't an error. For just £29, you will receive to your inbox every day for the first 14 days of January one thing to reset and recondition each of your mind, body, spirit and beyond to include a recipe, a journal prompt, an affirmation, a chakra balancing exercise and most excitingly as an upgrade from last year's R&R, one short concise manifestation lesson and exercise each day that will lead you to absolutely knowing how to call in your manifestation for the year ahead by the end of the 14 days. And all you need to do is commit 15 minutes a day for the first 14 days of the year. And you can even join our Facebook group to do it alongside me and other women going through the Reset and Recondition program. Just head to laurenvacneen.co.uk forward slash reset or head to the show notes to get the link and sign up now for just £29 and be ready in time for the new year. Welcome back to Reconditioned with me, Lauren Vaknin, and welcome back to the final episode of season 11. I cannot believe I have done 11 seasons of this podcast. Um, I'm proud of myself. I'm really proud of myself. And this last episode is with Josie Taylor, who is a positive parenting coach that we have been working with for the past few months. I know you're going to love this episode. It's um, a really interesting take on parenting and how really we should be encouraging ourselves to do it in a more positive, empowering way for us and for our children. We've been working with Josie for a few months and it's been um, a real education actually. There are some things that she teaches that are so different to what we're taught in mainstream parenting and implementing those things is literally you have to change your whole mindset around parenting. It's amazing. So it's super challenging but really, really empowering in managing our children. And I think one thing that I didn't say in the episode that I would like to say now, and I kept thinking it when she was talking, but I didn't want to interrupt, and then I forgot, is all of this is really coming back to accepting our children for how they are. And I think a lot of where we go wrong with parenting is we have this idea an expectation on what we want our parenting journey to look like and what we want our children to be like. And we have these ideas of these children that we're going to have and this life we're going to have as a parent. And it very rarely works out like that. In most cases, we're given children who are so different to what we expected. And learning how to accept our children for who they are 
is probably 80% of this process. Uh, but she does talk about some incredible things like praise and punishment, how we shouldn't do either. Something that we tackled right at the end was grandparents. What if you're trying to implement all this stuff and grandparents are doing it differently or you're separated and your ex-partner is doing it differently to you? She gave us some really interesting insights into how we can kind of have less um, uh, frustration around that, which I thought was brilliant. And kind of everything else in between, just managing children, managing toddlers, managing teenagers, how to manage it from an empowered, positive way without fear, no fear-based parenting, no praise, no punishment. Really interesting episode. If you're listening to this because you have come through Josie, welcome. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, this is a hub, a one-stop shop for all things wellness and growth. So thank you for being here. Do make sure to go through the many episodes we have. And if you're a long time listener, I have a little bit of news. So this is the last um, episode of the season. It is unfortunately going to be the last episode for a while, potentially a whole season, maybe more. I'm hoping until spring, but we'll see. Um, I'm writing a book. <laughs> so um, I'm very excited about it. And I know that you will understand that though the podcast is an amazing um, part of my business and gets so much great, so much love from you guys, so much attention, and it really is part of, uh, you know, one of the offerings that you guys love the most. It's also, unfortunately, when I have to say, okay, what can give, it's the only thing that can give. I can't possibly run a business or my clients, my membership program raise a family, do all the school runs, you cook dinners, all of it, all of it. Um, and about to get a new puppy as well and write a book. It's not possible. So um, the podcast was what has to give for the moment. I know you will understand that. There are also like 145 episodes or something on the podcast. So if you haven't listened to every single one, you can work your way back through the catalog. And even if you have even if you've been here since the beginning, remember there are episodes that you wouldn't have listened to for ages that you might learn something from that now is the right time for you to listen to it. Episodes on everything within the realms of wellness and inner growth. So you can find something, whatever you're looking for within um, that's kind of umbrellaed underneath wellness and growth you will find here. So I just want to say thank you for supporting this podcast, for being here, for listening to me, for trusting me to take you through this journey. Uh, this isn't goodbye. I will be back. <laughs> this is my podcast. This is my baby. I will be back. I'm just taking a little break for a few months because I have to write my book and I can't do all of it. So it's just a break, but make sure you stay subscribed to the podcast um, on Spotify or Apple. And also make sure if you're not already that you subscribe to my mailing list for a few reasons. Firstly, if you go to my website, we've just updated it. And um, when you subscribe to the mailing list, you get my amazing brand new nervous system regulation meditation. So you just pop your email in the box at the top of the website and you get that. But also because I do send out some fab emails um, that you will enjoy and benefit from. So um, my um, community especially love my monthly full moon newsletter. So every day, every month on the full moon, I send out a newsletter with information about that particular full moon, how we can honor it, how we can do a ritual around it. And then um, anything that's been going on with me throughout the month, offerings I have, but also recommendations and tips and freebies. And we do a recipe of the month, a product of the month with a discount code. 
what I'm currently reading. It's a really fun, really lovely newsletter that I know a lot of my clients and this community will contact me and say, when I know that this newsletter's coming, I get a cup of tea ready and um, sit down and read it with a cup of tea. It always comes at 10.30 on the day, 10.30 a.m. on the day of the full moon every month. So um, please make sure to subscribe and stay with me. And I've also got some very, very exciting news coming up in January, literally January the 2nd or 3rd, you'll be receiving an email. Um, so you have to be on the mailing list to get that about an upgrade and evolution of my offerings and what that is gonna mean for you in terms of being able to access my offerings um, in a more comprehensive way for a very affordable price. So um, that's really exciting because my purpose, my mission, my objective, my intention is always to be able to serve as many women as possible um, in as accessible a way as possible. So I'm always trying to evolve and upgrade and update things as much as I can. So all that is going on. I'm also getting a puppy uh, in a couple of weeks, just before new year. So there is so much going on so much. I will keep updating you on, on email and on my Instagram at Lauren Backney. So make sure you hang around. And again, just thank you so much for being here, for trusting me to take you through your wellness and growth journey. And, um, yeah, as usual. And as always, I appreciate you. Fun fact, humans take in more information in one day now than they did in their entire lives in the 1700s. No wonder we're overwhelmed. Our brains and bodies simply haven't evolved to manage this level of stress. And until that evolution happens, if we want to be well in mind and body, we need things that help alleviate this stress. For me, one of the key tools in my daily wellness toolkit that does this is the Sensate. And if you've been here a while, you'll know how genuinely obsessed I am with this product. It is a piece of health tech that fits in the palm of your hand, and it basically sends infrasonic waves through the chest to activate the vagus nerve and calm the autonomic nervous system while you listen to the specially composed audio within the app. I usually use the Sensate for 10 to 20 minutes before I sleep, to reduce cortisol levels, calm my brainwave states from the hectic day, and send me into a deep sleep. Clients of friends of mine who have a sensate have told me that their sleep has never been so good. People who usually struggle with sleep just wake up in the same position they went to sleep in. Everyone needs a sensate in my opinion, and I particularly recommend it to anyone who suffers from overwhelm or anxiety, and anyone who wants to deepen their meditation practice. And you can get £30 off the Sensate by visiting getsensate.com and using code Lauren30. That's G-E-T-S-E-N-S-A-T-E dot com, Lauren30. Thank you so much to Sensate for supporting our mission here at Reconditioned. Josie Taylor is a positive behavioral expert who empowers parents to understand their children's challenging behaviors in order to create stronger relationships between parent and child and calmer, more enjoyable home environments. Josie is also a mother of three herself and a longtime Montessori educator and my very own parenting coach. Well, welcome, Josie. Hello. Hi. Thank you Hello. for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I've been very excited about this because um, we've got a lot to tackle. 
We do. There's always lots to talk about in parenting. So before we get started, what have mm-hmm. you done so far today to support your wellness? Um, so something I do every morning is I get up much earlier than my children uh, to make sure that I am prepped and planned for the day. So mm-hmm. I enjoy to come down to have my hot drink. I sit at my office desk for 10 minutes, think about my day ahead to get myself in a really calm place. And then I wake my babies up by kissing them and putting music on and I'm calm and relaxed because I know I'm, I'm on top of my stuff. So that's what I do. I love that. That's such a nice way to start the day. What time is that? Because I know there's, there's parents like me listening whose kids wake them up at 5.30 and we don't yeah. have that option. Uh, you're absolutely <laughs> right. And that is a fair comment. So um, my children are now 14, 12 and 8. So they do sleep till 6.30, whereas I used to have a 4.59 uh, regularly in my house too so it wasn't possible then so I get up at six to do that so I have half an hour to 45 minutes nice okay what I would like you to start with is to obviously we read out your bio but what is it exactly you do because when I was introduced to you by a couple of friends who have worked with you three friends actually yeah have worked with you um and they all told me about you and they were like you've got to speak to Josie you've got to speak to Josie because obviously I always talk about my son's shall we say, challenging challenges that he yeah. um, poses upon us. Um, they're all like, you've got to speak to Josie. Um, and what you do is very different. You do have a very different approach. Yeah. Um, I know some people listening, obviously anyone listening to this podcast has taken very holistic approaches to life, to parenting. So they may have heard of similar, but I'd love for you to explain exactly what you do and how you do it. Okay. So, um, I work with parents. I very rarely work with the children. I can sometimes observe children if I feel I need to. Um, I work with the parents and help parents understand both themselves and their children. So children are fascinating and wonderful and challenging and beautiful, all in one big, fabulous little person. And understanding our children individually and how they work and what they need from us to be able to be their best selves. When I say their best selves, usually that comes out as us for us as parents when they're behaving properly when they're being cooperative when they're listening right so when they're being good and I don't use that in the term of good and bad kids because I don't use that language but that idea if we think of when our kids are just doing what they need to be doing so when we understand our children and what makes them tick and what they need we can take them to that point where they feel good and then they behave in what would be considered the right way okay so the other thing that's important to understand is behavior is all communication So this idea of good and bad, right and wrong, it doesn't exist. Children flow as we do as adults. So some days we're feeling good and we're high and everything's wonderful. Other days things are challenging and feel heavy and we're not as cooperative. We're not as open. We're not as um, gentle, as kind. And when we understand that about um, our children and we understand what they actually need and we give them what they need, we can almost heal them. We make them feel good and, and we want our children to feel good. So the idea of understanding behavior, understanding what behavior means, what misbehavior means and what they're actually trying to say, giving them what they need, the misbehavior goes away and everybody feels calmer, better, everything's more enjoyable. So I believe that parenting should feel good as the parents. So we should enjoy our parenting. I'm not saying it's not challenging. It is. We should enjoy our parenting and in turn, our children feel good being parented. Does that make sense? It does. It makes a lot of sense. 
You spoke about language and the kind of language you do and don't use. Now, yes. being that I've kind of been around a lot of Montessori thinkers and Steiner and all these kind of models of different, different kind of holistic, more holistic parenting models. I've heard all of this since, you know, even before I had Brax. Yeah. But it's really hard <laughs> to implement it as you go along. What are the kind of words that you really try to stay away from? Like if there are specific things that you absolutely don't believe we should ever you know, words that you you believe we shouldn't use, phrases, terms that you think are really damaging, and how yeah. hard it is, we need to try and change that. What would those? Yeah, be? good good question. Um, so the word that really sticks out for me when you say that is the word disappointment. So you would mm-hmm. never ever, in any way, refer to your child as dis- a disappointment or their behaviour as disappointing. Mm. Very very heavy. Um, that's a big one that stands out for me. The other thing is I'm going to be quite controversial here and just jump straight in, Lauren, so correct me if I'm going too far, but also overpraising. So we think as a society, overpraising or praising at all, really. So as a society, one of the biggest mistakes I see parents make without realising they're doing it, okay, it's very important. At no point is there any judgment here. We are all only doing our best with what we know. But when people hear this bit and start to understand it, it really does change the way you communicate with your kids. So when we praise our children, children look to us for validation, look to us about whether they are good enough, whether we like them. They even go as far as thinking if we like their pitch, that means we love them more, which isn't true. Okay, we love them no matter what. But praise is a way of controlling and manipulating our children to often try and get them to do the right thing. Now, that does work when they're doing the right thing, but there is a cost to that, and it's significant. The cost to that is that when we then don't praise them or we don't recognise something they've done, they question whether they are good enough. And it is it's huge. So this idea that you're amazing, you could be great, you're here doing all the right things, and then if they don't do that one day and we don't offer them the same praise, maybe we don't offer them the same praise because it wasn't as good, or maybe we don't offer them the same praise because we were simply busy finishing off an email and we just got sidetracked. Whatever the story, it doesn't matter. But for the child, they then start to believe that they are only good enough when they're being told they're good enough. So they are constantly seeking that praise. And as teachers, they're often referred to as approval junkies, kids that constantly need that. So if your child's constantly saying, do you like this? Do you like that? What do you think, mommy? Is this good? Do you like my dress? And you see it all the time. And bless them, they're gorgeous and they're trying to please us. You don't want your child to be a pleaser. Because when your child's a pleaser, there's two big things that happen. One, they desperately lack confidence. One of the most, um, one of the most regular calls I get from clients is eight-year-old boys. Normally, actually, eight-year-old boys lacking confidence. Mm. It's such a common call I get, and it's genuinely always down to this praise model. Okay. Now, of course, how would we ever know this? The idea of lifting someone up and praising them—it's like showing them love and telling them how proud you are of them, and it's all wonderful. And it is wonderful in those moments, but there is a cost to that, which is when that's not happening, it's much bigger and much more detrimental than we could ever know. So a a line that would be um, a big one that you wouldn't say was if your child had done something, you wouldn't say, I'm so proud of you. You would say, how do you feel you should be so proud of yourself? Tell me about that. I'm interested. So I'm super enthusiastic with my kids. I'm super interested in their world, but I do not praise them. I just, I want to hear what they've got to say. I'm interested. I'm having conversations. And the time I would say to my kids, I'm proud of them was when they were literally sat there doing nothing. They had done nothing 
particularly special that day. And I'd just go up to them maybe when they're sat on the couch and I'd whisper in their ear, I am so proud of you. You are a, a very incredible human that I happen to be able to call my child. And I'm so proud that you are mine. Right. But that's not because they've tidied their room, put their shoes away, got a good grade at school. That's just because that is who they are. Okay. And that is what empowers children and gives them confidence and self belief. And self belief for me is very, very important for kids. It's probably one of the biggest things that I advocate as a mum with my own children. Um, so I'm going off topic there, uh, Lauren, but in answer to your question, it's almost opposite to what we would think. So, what are the things that we don't do? Over praise, we don't do. Don't refer to our child as a disappointment. You'd never, you wouldn't also call them bad. You wouldn't name them as anything negative. So if I said to you, Lauren, you're a bad woman, you'd be like, what? That's, you can't say that to me. And a really good way to test this, guys, is look at yourself in the mirror and waggle your finger and look at yourself and say, you're a bad person. You're a good person. And even you just saying it to yourself, what comes back is unbelievable. When you even say to yourself, you're a bad person, looking at yourself in the mirror, it hits you and you're, you're consciously doing it. And the idea that we would say that to our most loved beings, it, it's, there's no purpose for it. There's no, there's no good in doing that. And the next step to that is if you are at a point where your child is behaving really badly and you're thinking you are a nightmare, which is, you know, okay, that does happen. For me, the first thing we go is, why is this happening? Why are they feeling bad? Children hold do on. not. Can we can we hold that thought because that is another topic, and I still yes. want to unpack this topic. So so another thing that that we've spoken about is is kind of, and, and something I speak about in my work a lot is the good girl syndrome. Yeah. So it's never saying good girl, good boy, right? Would that be another term? Yes, you wouldn't say that. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't tell your child they are good for doing anything. Um, or bad for doing anything. Because what we actually mean, which is quite interesting, whenever you go to say good boy or good boy, a good girl, you actually often just mean thank you. So they put their plate in the dishwasher, they put their shoes away. Thank you. You don't need to say they're good for doing that. So the I and the other idea that comes off that, which isn't so big as the first point I made, but as a parent, you feel it, is if we're constantly praising our children for doing something, then they're only doing it because they think that's them being good, okay? Mm. Whereas actually putting your shoes away and putting your plate in the dishwasher is not good. It's just that's what you're meant to do. Mm. So when we give it all this praise, it's like, oh, you're so helpful. You're so no, no, you, you've used your plate. You're putting it in the dishwasher. That's just an expectation, okay? You've taken your shoes off and put them in the cupboard. That's just an expectation. There's no praise around that. There's no thank you so much for helping me. That, that, that mentality um, long-term isn't healthy for the parent because then what happens is you get parents of you know, 11, 12 year olds that are exasperated that feel like all they do is pick up after their kids and my kids are so lazy and I do everything and I feel like I'm being used and abused. And you ultimately are because you're then constantly having to, oh, thank you so much for putting your shoes away. Mm -hmm. So there is, there's also another part that comes into this story of like just really setting expectation. So within my home, my kids uh, tidy up after everything and anything they do. Um, they do their own laundry, they fold it, they put it away. I don't thank them for putting their laundry away. It's their laundry. You, know, you, you put it, it's just what you do, right? Um, and th th everything's done. So I'm not constantly having to think, oh, who do I have to thank? Who do I have to say please and thank you? My house is very tidy. It's very in order. 
And that's just because there's those expectations that are in place. Now, something to add to that is you do have to teach that. You can't just expect to go today and go, oh, can you do that? It's going to happen. You know, I've been teaching that since they were all eight months old. So they know what the expectations are. So it's very, very well set in my house. Um, But expectations and taking the time to teach is the key for that one. Mm. Again, so much I want to unpack with that. I just want to go back to like the good girl thing and, and what you said about <laughs> Sorry, the validation. <laughs> no, it's just because I know people that, you know, I, I no, want no, people please to have do. an idea of to how lead. to use the tools yes. that you're giving. And if we kind of jump ahead, then people are going to still be thinking, but I want to learn how to do that. Yeah, you're absolutely so right. The, what I see play out a lot in clients, so, you know, when they're adults, is the good girl syndrome and is the desire to um have that external gratification and that's where habits and and addictions come in right Mm -hmm. I think it's so ingrained in how we're raised as children so the the long-term outcome of being praised as a child is very much long-term so do you want me to talk about that bit yeah so yeah yeah. so as as adults we have um and we'll all be able to recognize this either in ourselves or people that we know where they constantly need validation so if you've if you've cooked your husband a beautiful meal, you want him to tell you how wonderful it is because you, you know, you've done that. So the idea that we constantly seek approval and praise, and that is um, very, very hard as an adult because nothing is ever good enough. I always um, see it in my very successful clients that I work with, people that have really made it and are very successful from the outside, but they have everything. They are nailing life but they still don't feel it's good enough. They still don't feel they've done enough. And that is the idea that as children, it always comes back to it because I end up doing NLP work with them as well, is it always comes back to, I was always told to do more. I was always told it wasn't good enough. Nine out of 10 wasn't enough. It needs to be 10 out of 10. Or I was always praised when I did the, you know, when I got 10 out of 10, I I was always praised. When I got into Oxbridge, I was always praised. I was told that was what was you know, expected of me. And then when I did it, well done, there was never enough. There was, it was always about the next step and pushing. Mm. It's very sad because those parents that brought those kids behaved, taught those kids like that were only doing it for the right reasons. You know, and ultimately these children are all now very successful. So my dad says it about me because he used to use removal of love and praise to control me. They were the two tactics my dad would use. And um, bless him, he said to me, he said, uh, Josie, the praise didn't do you too bad. Look, you're really successful. You're doing really well. You know, I, I did a good job. So from his perspective, he did do a good job. And I'm in a place, I've, you know, I've, all, my, all my boxes are ticked that you would expect to be ticked at the, the age I'm at, right? But actually with that comes this pressure that it's never enough. And I have worked on myself to be able to manage that now. Um, but actually, if I was still very much controlled with the idea of praise, nothing would ever be good enough. There would never, I would never be... The word is fulfilled, Lauren. You'll never be fulfilled because you always feel like you're meant to be doing more. So the the most negative thing about praising your children is the long-term impact, which is they are always seeking that next good girl rather than, hang on, how do I feel? Like I've really had a good year this year. I'm really proud of myself. I don't need anyone to tell me. I um, I remember, Lauren, I worked with, very, very um, famous A-list celebrity about four years ago. And there were different coaches they could have chosen. They chose me. And I was so excited that I was the one that had been picked. I remember calling my dad. He lives in Florida. I remember calling my dad and telling him. And he he told me, I said, I'm, I'm just going into a restaurant. I'll call you back. And I'd said this person's name. And everyone in the world knows this person's name. And I was like, how is this not like the biggest moment? 
And I got off the call and I looked at my husband, I went, he wasn't even excited. He went, Josie, you do realize that you're seeking praise from your dad right now? I was like, yes. For the one thing that you're going to teach other parents not to do. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, how do you feel? And I was like, you're absolutely right. How do I feel? I feel amazing. Like, I feel like, oh my God, how have I just done this? And it was a huge moment for me where I realized I still, without realizing, was holding on to that need for his approval, I guess. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I don't. Now I don't. Now I keep going back to how do I feel? But it, but it's incredible how some of the most wonderful, excellent, successful people use that as their way of growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I work with several mothers on that exact topic. I see it play out a lot in clients. What you said about, you know, 10 out of 10. Mm. I see it a lot in, especially in women who, you know, were praised for their scholastic ability. And so all their value was placed on their scholastic ability, yes. on how, how good they were in school. So they yes. went on to sixth form and they went on to uni and they went on to do a master's. And then all of a sudden there's nothing left to study. Yeah. And they're out in the world with no one praising them and they don't know yes. where that validation is coming from. So they turn to addictions mm-hmm. and, you know, habits and all of that. So in practice, though, as someone who is working with you, has worked with you, it's not easy. So for the parent who's sitting at home now saying, well, how do I not praise them? How do I go from, you know, so, you know, as you know, my son's eight. So to go from what we were doing, which was, oh, that's, yeah, we love your picture. That's a really nice picture that you've drawn to not giving the praise like how do you do it because actually at the beginning it was really hard because he would say to us when I would go how do you feel about it mm, and he's yeah. like stop asking me how I feel about it and we have yeah. to kind of be really inventive with other things yeah. we can say yeah so yeah. what are some ways to kind of Good question answer them if they come and they really want you know your validation or your praise how do you make so them when, feel good yes so sometimes you have to um still do a tiny bit of it if you've been doing it for a long time because all those children do then question what's happened mm-hmm. for older children you can explain that you're changing your approach okay the other thing is you would um when children seek validation what they're often seeking is just a connection lauren their interest so if you would normally your child sat at the table taking out stuff out of their school bag showing you and you're walking past going to the kitchen to make food You'd say, oh, that's a nice picture. Oh, good boy. Well done. Okay. That's what would normally happen. End of it. Whereas actually when they take the picture, you're going to say, hey, budge up, budge up. Let me see. Let me see. what. Tell me about this picture. Oh, look at that bit. And you start to have a conversation and they'll say, mommy, do you like it? You'll say, darling, do you know what? I do like it. But I actually like all of the things you do. I like all of the work you do. And they say, what's your favorite? You'll say, it doesn't really matter what my favorite is. What matters, what I really like is seeing what you think about it because you did that work. And I love to know when you were doing work, what you were thinking was in your head. I love seeing you be creative. If it's around drawing, right? I love seeing you create things. And I love that you love what you're doing. That makes me happy. Then they might see things. What makes you happy? What makes me happy is seeing you fulfilled. So how are you feeling? Even that, you've got to be careful because they feel this pressure. Oh, do I have to keep being fulfilled? You know, do I have to keep making mum feel fulfilled? You don't want you as a parent to put any pressure on your child to be or do anything. You want to see their truest self. You want to see their truest, truest self. And the only way you see that is by not feeding into them. Now, if you want to teach some things around moral compass, that's a different conversation altogether. But we don't want our kids to always use pink in their picture because that's mommy's favourite colour. doesn't matter what colour you use. What's your favourite colour? What do you want to do? What makes you feel good? Now, initially, 
children will turn around and say, do you not think I'm a good girl? Do you not think I'm a good boy? I'll say, darling, let's just stop here for a minute. I honestly, truly think you are a good human all of the time. You are the most beautiful human. I could not wish for a more beautiful human. Now, sometimes you might make mistakes as I do. That's normal, darling. But are you a good person? You are an exceptional person. And you tell them, and that's the truth. We adore our children and they sometimes make mistakes as we do. So whenever you would say that, sometimes you make mistakes, you would say, always add on there, as I do. Because we make mistakes every day as adults. We just hide them beautifully. Mm. But children can't hide their mistakes. Everything's out on the open, being seen. They can't do anything, twist anything. We catch them. If you've been here a while, you'll know that I believe that we should get whatever we can in the way of nutrition through food. And where we can't get it through food, that's where we supplement. Now, in order to get myself from disabled to completely able-bodied, I had to be really specific and well-researched when it came to supplements, which is why I've been using Amrita Nutrition for the past decade, more than decade actually, to buy pretty much 95% of the supplements I take and recommend. Now, Amrita stocked the highest quality brands using the highest quality non-synthetic ingredients. Most of these brands couldn't even be bought in the UK when I started taking them years ago, so Amrita have made it super easy and accessible. And the other great thing about Amrita is they offer personal support. So if you're not sure of which supplement to order, you can call them and they'll advise you. Now, they're usually a practitioner-only stockist, but you can buy supplements from Amrita now using practitioner invite code Lauren, which will get you 10% off all supplements. And once you set up an account, that 10% will be applied to every order. I've gone ahead and created a collection of all my favorite supplements with Amrita to help you out of it, which you can find in the show notes or on my website by typing in Amrita. Otherwise, just visit amritanutrition.co.uk and use code Lauren for 10% off. Thank you so much to Amrita for continuing to support our mission here at Reconditioned. So let's talk about one of the things that I think most parents, from my experience of talking to friends and clients, find the most challenging. It's all well and good when you're in a calm state having these conversations about, oh, what do you feel about your picture and all of this? What about when you're in one, having one of those days where the kids are fighting with each other, you're at the end of your tether and you're about to lose your shit or you've lost your shit? Mm-hmm. What are the best ways to manage those moments? Because I, I truly believe that's what we as parents struggle with the most, those moments, those difficult yeah, when days. Yeah, we're triggered, absolutely. When we're triggered, when they won't stop fighting, when they won't stop asking, or they won't eat the food that you've made them and you're just exhausted and there's just so much and you're just like, fake. Mm. You know, yeah. how do you yeah. manage those moments from a positive parenting perspective while also being true to your emotions? Okay. So the first thing is having awareness of how you feel that day. So being responsible for yourself. So I'm feeling quite shit today. This is not a good day for me. I know that I'm not going to be very tolerant. So know that about yourself and tell yourself that. You might even go as far as telling your kids. So I will say to my kids, if I've got a lot of work on and I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'll go, guys, I am not my best self today. You're going to have to be really careful around me because I'm going to explode at any moment and it's nothing to do with you. Okay. 
The other thing you would say is you would help yourself feel better. I'm not, you would say, I'm not feeling good right now. I need to help myself feel better. So by saying that, this is what's beautiful about this, Lauren, by saying that your kids, if you speak like that regularly, your kids then pick up on that language. When they're, when they're not feeling good, they say, I'm not feeling good right now. I'm going to go and step away. So they model that same language. So modeling is very powerful. So it's not that you're not allowed to feel bad. We are normal people, but it's about how you allow the rest of the family to know. So that's the first thing, state that you're not in your best space. If you're in a moment and you're about to lose it, I need to step away because I'm going to behave in a way I don't want to. That is very different to I'm going to step away because you're being rude and you're annoying me and I don't like you. That makes that child feel bad, feel worse, behavior gets bigger. I'm going to step away because I'm going to respond in a way that I don't want to and I want to behave in the right way. You step out. Now, sometimes that doesn't work so children follow you. Okay, that's important to state. Sometimes it works some situations, children, sometimes it doesn't. The other thing you would do is you would look at why it's happening. So if you're already triggered, fine, you're already triggered. Know that about yourself. Keep breathing, keep resetting, keep breathing, keep resetting, okay? But then if your children are in a state where you said they're arguing all day, they just keep arguing, they're bickering all day, there's a reason why, okay? Now, you don't always need to know the reason, but you can, but you can always know where it's coming from. So there's three, there's four, but I'm going to talk about three main areas. Children's need for attention. Children's need for feeling powerful. Children's response with reference to revenge. So revenge, power, and attention all sounds like, sound like big, bad, dark words. I don't want my kid to be attention-seeking. Every human is attention-seeking. Not my child to want to be in control and have power. We all want control and power. I love control and power, which is why I run my own business. I couldn't work for anybody, okay? Revenge, I'm feeling hurt, so I'm going to hurt you, okay? I'm Someone at school is unkind to me. I'm feeling hurt inside. I don't know what to do with it. My response to that is to come home and to hurt someone else. It's not conscious. None of those things are conscious. None of those things are decisions that a child has sat back and gone, hmm, how can I do this? It doesn't work like that. It's simply emotion. So when we un start to understand those three mistaken goals of what we're trying, what we we need something, but we're hate behaving in a different way. As parents, that's why I teach parents to understand that is attention seeking behavior. That is power. Uh, that's when they need power. This is when they're in a state of revenge. When you can work out what those are, you can give your child what they need. Then the behavior literally goes away in front of your eyes. So an example may be revenge. Your child is saying, I hate you, you're the worst one we ever, I don't like you. Now, as a parent, we take that personally, we want to correct them, we want to tell them that's horrible, that's not right, you shouldn't speak like that, how dare you, why are you so rude? Whereas actually, when a child says that, the child is really hurting. And so they are trying, to, they're showing you they're hurt, they're, this is again not conscious. So you would say something like, so your child says those things to you, that you're the worst one we ever, I don't like you, I mean, you'd say, my darling, I really, really love you. And your behavior shows that you're not feeling good right now. How can I help you? So you're talking to the emotion rather than to the behavior. So the behavior is just the bit that's on top, like the top hat. You want it, there's a bit underneath you want. As soon as you talk to that bit underneath, they melt and they feel understood and they're not corrected and they're not told off for behaving badly. They're just understood. Now, it's not that you don't correct the behavior later, but in that moment, correcting the behavior is completely pointless. Do you think, though, that because something that I hear a lot from friends is the sibling rivalry, the sibling arguments. Sometimes that's just about siblings being annoyed that there's someone else there. 
like they'll be sitting watching TV. I want to watch that. He changed the channel and then he hits her over the head with the remote control. Sometimes it's nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do with revenge. It's nothing to do with anything that's happened. They just want to watch TV on their own without their little sister annoying them. And it causes a whole series of fights and screaming and you keep trying to go in and, you know, help resolve it. But they keep screaming and they keep arguing the rest of the day. And even if you leave it and try and let them figure it out, it's just and, and you, you want to explode because it's like, just shut up. Mm-hmm. In those situations, how do we manage that? Okay, because so I... obviously my the, the the response of like your average person who might not be, you know, engaging in this. My response as well is, I'm just going to turn the TV off. If you can't mm-hmm. stop arguing, perfect. That's a perfect solution. Perfect, literally the perfect. And then solution. they'll just go in the playroom and start fighting. <laughs> then they're then they're not allowed to play together. They have to separate. So all so that one that you've just referred to was actually power. I want to be in control and I have power and I want to be on my own. I don't want to be in space. So it always comes down to one of those generally. But with siblings, siblings are very complicated. Siblings are very very intertwined in a way that we are not aware of. They're very complicated. Uh, their relationships are very complicated. It, it, it's so detailed in a way that we don't see. We think there's one uh, that's the good one. We think the one that's not so good. That's like we create a victim bully scenario. We become the judge and jury. Whereas actually, with siblings, the best tip I can give you is you always refer to them as um, both of them, and you put them in the same boat. So you never ever take sides. That's the biggest, biggest tip I can give you. Can I just stop, now, if stop there there is... for a second and ask a question on that? Sorry, I'm just, just, yeah. just for a second, because I grew up with my mum doing that. She'd be like, I don't care whose fault it was. You're both blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I used to get so upset because my sister literally used to put me in situations where she'd like make me get blamed for something I didn't do. And so I hated that my mum. So I really try to actually look at what's happened and... But what you're saying isn't the truth, Lauren, because if she put you both in the same position, then she wouldn't have blamed you. Your mum would have ended up blaming you. Well, she would blame us both. Okay. So in that, so if as a parent, if you see the same scenario happening, uh, where there's one always getting in trouble, always the one that's sort of going, then you would um, coach that child one-to-one. Okay. So in a house often there's one that's more physical than the other okay in the scenario you would do a both of them all over okay you both them all of you stop it that sort of thing but then what you would do is one to one a couple of days later maybe that night depending how calm they were you would say to that child sweetheart you know sometimes when you're with your sister and you get really wound up um and your natural response is to go for hitting um, i'd really like to talk about what you could do instead Can we have a conversation about what that might look like and then you use that as a teaching tool. But what you don't do is you don't shame and blame the other child in front of their sibling. Mm. So you absolutely see what's going on. Sometimes you get it very wrong. Let's be very clear. Okay. But what we do know is one child is more of a hitter than the other. That's a fact that we know. We don't know why. We don't know what caused it. We want their response to be something different. So then you would talk to that child one-to-one at a time and you would talk about what that looks like for them. And what we could do differently and how you understand that that's their go-to. What could we do in another way? Just like you then might speak to the other child who winds up, who does little faces, who goes, eh, eh, all of that. You speak to that child. So it's not that you're not working on the relationship, but it's a personal journey that you're doing with them rather than in front of each other. I've told you about hitting. Stop hitting your sister. Uh-huh. It just creates that victim bully language. Mm. Okay. Um, the other thing with siblings is, Literally, the worst thing we can do in front of them is to get involved. I can't stress that enough because what we do is we fuel it. 
So there's three really nice tips I like to give for siblings. Uh, so the first one is when they're having like a proper full on, rah, you would cross your arms or, and you'd just watch them like this, back and forth. And they look at you like, oh my God, you're not going to tell them to stop. And you're just like, no, I'm just observing. This is, this is quite interesting. I'm just watching what's going on. Don't worry about me. I'm not here. And they're really taken aback. And often you'll get one that will just do something quite big and then the other one will just stop and walk away. Okay. The next one you do is you, um, uh, you separate them. So this is silly. Both of you, um, you're in that room. You're in that room. I'm not having this. I'm not having this. Mom, she really okay what happened. You go in there. You go in there. You're not blaming anyone. There's no blame here. You're not telling anyone off. You're just separating them. You're you're going to solution based parenting. Where a solution based, I want you to imagine it's like an umbrella. So like there's an umbrella above this scenario, and you're look you're in the umbrella looking in. Right? How can I literally stop this from happening? How can I solve this? Right? Separate. Okay. The other one, which is um, fun, so say they're arguing about like the TV, what they're going to watch. Guys, I don't want to hear this argument about the telly. Can you both go into it? You pick the smallest, most boring room in the house. You both go into the, the downstairs bathroom uh, and you can only come out when you've both got the plan of what's going to happen. Within two minutes, they've come out. Oh, she's having it first today. Okay, great. So you're not entering those conversations. So it's not about supporting your children in those moments but you do that later and it's about not in any way fueling it and, and almost just not accepting the behavior so if they're sat on the couch you both need to decide together they can't okay i'm taking the tv controller you're not angry you're not upset you're just solution based i'm just taking the controller that's not fair i understand you feel it's not fair if you two can work out a plan fine i've got the controller let me know when you're ready whereas we, we it's very exhausting managing sibling rivalry when you're there going what did you have yesterday how long did you watch it for who's got it today do you like that program a little bit I mean, that's i don't know how any parent does that it's, it's so exhausting so just don't even enter those conversations mm. another yeah. one is someone comes to you dad, dad did this how can you and your how can you and your brother solve this go and talk to them mm. Yeah, lots of solutions. So what was the, when I cut you off before, when we'd gone from the first thing about language and you said the second thing is, and we were like, let's unpack this first and then go into that. Yeah, so I touched on that a minute ago. So that was around the mistaken goals, yeah. around attention, power, revenge. So all behaviour is, there's a reason for it. And that's really important. And, and as parents, it can feel hard sometimes. You're thinking, but my friend's kids don't do that. My friend's kids just listen. They eat. They do what they're meant to do. Every single child is individual. And I, and I know that's such an overused word, but genuinely, every single human is individual. And the best thing we can do as parents is take the time to understand who our little people are. Because when you understand who they are and how they work, you get the absolute best out of them. Mm. As a parent with more than one child, we the boundaries are the same, the expectations are the same, but the way you get there for each child is very different. Yeah. And I think a big mistake that families make is on my first child, they were fine, they do what they were meant to, my second child's come along, and they're just rude and don't follow any of the same rules. It's not that, it's not they won't follow the rules and expectations, but the way you did it with the first one worked for the first one, doesn't work for the second. Mine's the other the way second around. <laughs> yours is the other way around, yeah. Um, but different 
the way you get somewhere is different for each child. So if a child is a child that likes more attention, then you would get somewhere by giving them more attention. If you're a child, a child that likes power and control, you'd get there through power and control. So a silly example, when my kids were younger, um, sitting down for dinner. My middle daughter's very power hungry. She loves power. And she would want to sit in a certain place a different night every night, different place every night. And she'd like everyone else to sit in places that she picked. No one else cared where they sat. So she was allowed to do that. Sure, where's everyone sitting tonight, Brooks? She'd tell everyone, great. The other two didn't care less. There's other things they cared about that she didn't care about. So you go, it's the same rule as we're all sitting down for eating. But how do we get there for each child's very different? And another thing that I think is important to say at this point is children that you feel are more defiant, don't listen, constantly repeating, lack, you know, not cooperative, all those sorts of things. It can be very hard at times as a parent to manage a child like that. But when you understand your child, you then start to see other things come through with that. So I'll give you an example. Um, Brooke, my middle daughter, all my children are very power hungry, but my middle one, Brooke, is particularly strong. And she, um, as a as a young child, was very um, challenging in many ways because she wanted power. I didn't find her challenging because I understood her. But to someone else on the outside, she was very challenging. I mean, she was written in the instant book at Montessori School. I, uh, I, <laughs> I had um, more times than any other child. And she was my child, right? Uh, that's always a good story, that one. So, but what happens is this powerful human now at 12 is powerful in all its glory. Mm. Like who she, she's phenomenal. She thrives in everything and anything she chooses to do. She's very confident who she is, but not flash. She's great at her sport. She's a leader. She's very well liked. All of the things that you would want to see in your child, she possesses. Mm. But as a toddler, she was powerful and strong and rah! And we're growing and now we see this incredible human. I guess the challenge with that is, how, because I've always said that about Brax, like where, even when he was a toddler, when he was a baby, I say he's the most independent baby and toddler I've ever met. From when he was a baby, you could see like he wouldn't take a dummy, a muzzy. He wouldn't let anything be in his cot, not a cuddly toy, nothing. You put it in, he'd throw it out. Mm -hmm. Me, I'm going to manage it. I'm going to make my own decisions and I'm going to do it all alone. His birth was the same. I'm going to do it my way. We're going to have a back to back birth. You're going to do it naturally and you're going to do it my way. You know, from the second that, you know, he was conceived I think it was I'm gonna do it my way yeah and when he was a toddler I used to say to Daniel and to other people he's so independent and he so knows himself and I know that when he's an adult this is gonna serve him so well and as you're saying you yeah. know teenager it's gonna serve him so well but raising a child like that is so freaking challenging and and, and I think the challenge is you knew what you were doing right in how to work with Brooks yeah. power and, yeah. and and that that kind of powerful character yeah. she had. Our challenge as parents is making it so that we can get them to that point when they're teenagers, that we haven't torn them down because it's been so yes. hard for us that we're just shouting very, at them very all the important. time. How do we allow them to continue being that powerful being that they are 
but still have some element of I don't want to use the word control but you know what I mean when I say that as in you have to be able to there has to be some expectations in behavior and in the home and what we expect from our children so this is a really interesting question and I'm going to go off for a moment and I'm going to come back so sorry can I just apologize for the noise outside the gardeners here I can't hear it okay good (laughs) so my um my son Billy he's eight and um is very very physical okay very physical he was crawling at five months he was walking at eight months he climbed out his cot at four months was sleeping in a bed at four months like extreme born at 11 and a half pound naturally at home he was just born wow. ready right yeah I know that was uh <laughs> it was good though it was fine it was very I was very in my space it was a good birth but he was big um and I know that this child needs to physically be free. Okay. He can't, you can't, he's showing me in every part of him that he wants to physically be free. So there's two options. I can either tell him no, or I can teach him the boundaries and expectations and let him. So my approach is I teach him the boundaries and expectations and let him. He did not ever walk up the stairs, ever. He would climb the outside of the banister and jump over the top. Never walked up the stairs. Feels like my he did that. Be best friends. <laughs> and he did that until he was six. Okay, uh, he didn't wear shoes until he was okay. He owned shoes, but he would choose not to wear them. But he had them um, until he had, he went to school. Wouldn't wear shoes. Just wanted to be free. Mm. Now I could fight him and tell him to wear shoes. Of course I could. I could. Of course I could make my child walk up the stairs. Of course I could make him wear shoes. Of course I could make him stop climbing. I just use punishment and shame and humiliation and control him. Of course, I could do all those things. I didn't want to. Why, why does it matter to me if he doesn't wear shoes? He has never injured his foot. Actually, that's a lie. He injured his foot once and it was in the home. So it doesn't count. Um, but he's never injured his foot from walking outside. He's very aware of how to walk, when to walk, what to do. He's aware when he wants to wear his shoes when he doesn't. Just like we live right next to the Great Park and it would be snowy and icy. And he'd go and still jump in the icy puddles with the, my concern, thinking he's going to fill his boots up with ice. And I let him do it. And he'd fill his boots up with ice. And they'd go, my feet are now too cold, Mom. We need to go home. Okay. What am I going to do? Don't jump in the puddle. Don't jump in the puddle. Don't jump in the puddle. I'm not going to do that. Well, most parents do. Most parents do. But I don't. You you let him do what he wants to do, and then he learns. It always and makes, makes me decisions. sad when I see parents at parks and the kids want to go. There's nothing more exhilarating for a child than jumping in the puddles. And when I yeah. see parents go, "Don't jump in the puddle," I'm like, "Please let them jump in the puddle." Yeah. But parents say that because they know that they're going to then go into town and they're going to have a cold, wet child, and it's going to be hard work. Yeah. So you so you think about that in advance, or so my kids, I let my kids literally be as free as they want to be. But I have one rule, and it's they're not allowed to moan. I do not like moaning. I will not accept moaning. I will not accept whinging on any level. Oh, see, that's something I, I cannot master. My kids moan so much. We'll talk about moaning. I'll tell you about moaning in a sec. Yeah, please. But I I just, ca- that's the one thing I cannot tolerate and they just don't and they never have because I simply won't accept it, okay? So going back to my your original question around, Okay, I'm still going off topic, but I need to for this. So physically, he's very, very physical. So he would come downstairs at a very, very young age and climb and sit and eat his breakfast sat on the kitchen table. 
Now, it didn't bother me that he would do that. He wouldn't eat on the table and throw his food in. He wasn't wasn't rude. He wasn't anything. He would sit beautifully on the kitchen top and eat his breakfast. He'd clear his thumbprint in the dishwasher. So why am I going to say no to that? Like, darling, can you sit on the chair? I'm gonna. It's going to be harder for me to make him sit on the chair and force him to do that when he's got other ideas of what he wants to do. So I very, very rarely ever had an issue with my child's, with my son's behavior ever because I would let him do what he needed to do and he would do it respectfully. He wouldn't, he used to, he used to climb, go onto the kitchen counter. I don't know how he did it. He'd hold on to the top of the kitchen counter. He wasn't even tall enough to get up and he'd swing his legs up and sit on top of the kitchen counter. I mean, I literally don't know how he'd do it. It was hilarious. And he'd just walk along the kitchen counters. Now, a lot of reason why we don't, as parents that are kids, do things, we're fearful. We're fearful they're going to hurt themselves, which I get. But if you teach your child and let your children do things, they are very, very capable. Like a child very rarely will climb in a park higher than they can manage. The only I reason- I totally agree with that, yeah. Is because we push them to do it. So my son climbs trees barefoot all the time. He's only allowed to climb trees barefoot um, or in a pair of bendy sole trainers, but barefoot's the rule, really. That's the only rule. So barefoot climbing because he can feel where he needs to be. And he will climb so high in these trees and he can climb down. But I've never pushed him to climb because if you push, then they're not ready. But also there's a trust as parents that our children know. I'm not saying don't stand at the bottom of the tree. I'm not saying don't start, stand at the bottom of the climbing frame. But let's teach rather than correct Mm. Let's allow rather than stop because children don't take the piss when they're given freedom. They don't. They go, they enjoy it. They go, go, go. And then they're like, I'm, I'm okay. And they step back. So there's a real part here, Lauren, around trust, around connection, around letting them. What would happen if you let them? What happens next? So I honestly, truly believe and I know, I don't just believe, I know that if I'd stopped my son from being his truest physical self, he would have fought me and fought me and fought me. Just like I know if I didn't treat my daughter, Brooke, the way I treat her, where I understand her, she would happily stand in front of the head teacher and tell him where to go. But because I don't fight them, because I get them and understand them and let them be, they're content, they're fulfilled, they're calm, they're who they're meant to be, so that we don't have these fights going on my son rarely had a tantrum and I'm not saying that as that's good or bad I just find that very interesting that he rarely had a tantrum because he was very much allowed to be and do what he needed to do Mm. now that's not always feasible if you've got to drop your kid off to nursery I had set myself up with him in a way that allowed him to be very free so I'm aware that that's not real life for many people but I'd set it up so that I would teach the Montessori that he went to, that his home life was very free as much as I could. He was always on the carrier. He was always connected. So lots of things that I did, but my life allowed me to. So I'm not saying that as you should all do that. I get that there's real life as well. So it's about really letting your child be who they're meant to be and understanding that without going, I don't really want you to go out barefoot. I don't really want you to climb that tree right now. When we step away from that narrative of where those lines are. Now, another thing to add is, of course, you're allowed to have a line. Okay, of course, there's a point where you go, actually, no, not doing that. There is a point. And that is really okay because as long as you don't have many no's and you don't have many lines, when you say no, your kids listen. Because, well, she doesn't say no unless she actually really means no. So I'm going to, okay, on this occasion, okay. 
I think that's a really good point because something I was going to ask you before was how do you get to the point of say you know you're teaching your kids to take their plates and rinse them off and put them in the dishwasher like you said doesn't matter how many times I ask maybe well maybe 50 percent of the time they're doing it now but usually they leave their plate and I'm like can you please bring your plate over to the sink what is it that we need to do yeah so fear-based parenting to get them to that point where they want to do it so that's very much habit-based and routine-based and it's also about letting kids you know when you finish eating they're desperate to go back to what they were playing so it's also normal childlike behavior right so is this actually just childlike behavior most of the time with your other 50 percent, i'd say probably 30 percent of that lauren was just i'm I'm ready to go back to my play so what you'd say is just before they finished guys remember your expectation with your plates when you finished eating just a little reminder you're not telling and and you would ask them the question but don't tell because often when we tell it's like oh they go again oh they go again so mm. ask or set the expectation of a reminder the other thing you can do is if your child's being defiant around it they're like i don't want to do it they'll say okay i can't make you do it but we're not going to play anything we're not going to move on to the next thing until that's done so you let me know when you're ready to do that and then we can move on to the next thing mm. um so you're not fighting them. There's no power struggle to be had here. You're going to do that right now because I said so. What? Who, who, this is ridiculous. Listen to yourself. You just stop and go, yeah, I can't make you move your plate right now. You're right. I can't. And I'm, I'm not going to try and make you move your plate. I think it's an expectation in the house that we put our things when we finish working with them. I mean, I know that I do that. And I wonder what it might look like if I didn't tidy up after cooking in the kitchen. So I'm going to go as far as to say I'd like you to put your plates away and I'd like you to choose to do that because it's the right thing to do in this scenario. Um, or you can do it later and that'll be fine. But that but that later when that'll be fine, you're not there giving them attention. You're now upstairs with your other sibling having lovely bath time and they're like, oh. So the natural consequence to that choice is I'm now missing out on the start of bath time. Mm. So natural consequence is a really nice way to get things to happen. So mm. set yourself up to win. That's a good one. So we actually use that word quite a lot. Consequences without it being like your consequences, you're being grounded. Obviously, <laughs> we're guided by you. We don't do anything like that. But in terms of, you know, con- I think consequences are great. Well, so I-, I often say to Brax, that's fine if you don't want to hang your coat up. You know, th- there's obviously going to be some sort of consequence of that. And he'll be like, mm, consequences. <laughs> so just so, so the word to so be uh, careful around consequences are in the sense that you don't use it as a threat okay so let me just explain yeah, yeah. consequences for a moment so but I, but I do want him to understand that like because here's the thing when you don't use fear-based parenting which is how most of us were raised yeah like I was you know had the fear around what if I don't do that that there's something not nice that will happen you know whether it's like my dad would threaten, like I'm going to take the TV off the wall and smash it or, you know, whatever it might be that, you know, was like a, I'd be scared. So I'd be scared into doing the thing I was told to do. When you're not using that, using consequences is at least a way to kind of do that without fear, but it's quite hard to get them to to set those expectations because they'd be like, well, why am I going to do that? At five, six years old, they don't have that idea of I want to respect my mum because she respects me and she helps me. So if they don't get that, then we need to do more teaching around it. Mm. So the idea, if you don't pick your coat, there's going to be a consequence. That is... Okay, can I talk about punishment for a minute? Yes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we use punishment as a way of making our kids do things or not do them again 
Punishment is completely pointless and I do not advocate it in any way whatsoever. Okay. I don't use punishment at all. Okay. Uh, and I brought up three children and they are not feral. So just to reassure you, and they're very strong-willed children. So I've, you can absolutely parent without punishing. I've never punish them. So punishment is about when you do something bad, you're going to pay for your mistake. Okay. But where did that something bad come from? What's the reason behind that? If we go the other way and we go, where did that come from? What do we need to do to solve this situation? What do you need to do to be responsible for your chosen behavior? So it's not that you're not accountable. It's not that you're not responsible, but you don't need a punishment for it. So we're using language such as if you leave your coat on the floor, there's going to be a consequence to that. That is like, what's she going to do? What's she going to say? Is she going to throw a punishment out? Could it be? I mean, I don't, I don't think you do this, but is she going to say, I can't go to the park with daddy? Is she going to say, I'm not allowed to watch TV with my sister? Like, what's the consequence? You don't want your child to think like that. You want to teach your child to pick up their coat because it's the right thing to do. Not because I'm going to get in trouble if I don't. Now, that approach to parenting takes longer, but my God, it pays. Because then you have that kid that goes to someone else's house or is at school and you know they're doing the right thing because they know it's the right thing to do. Not because, oh, I better do it in case my teacher sees me. But how do you teach that, that it's the right thing to How do you yeah. make them want to do it simply because it's the right thing to do? Okay. I do, I do, I maybe use the wrong example, but I do believe that there's a big difference between punishment and consequences. There is. So I think what you meant was you use the idea of a consequence happening in advance to a bit negative behaviour, which is fine. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So um, what you would say, you would set expectation. Okay, so they've come in, they've thrown their coat on the floor. Hey, dude, we need to put our coat away. I don't want to. I know you don't want to, but it's something that we need to do. And uh, in the house, we, we offer respect to each other. I'm listening to you that you're saying you want to go in the playroom and play something. And I'm saying, that's cool, you go ahead. And I'm also asking you to pick up your coat. So I'm going to go as far as saying, darling, that once your coat's away, then you can... Um, once the coat's away, then you uh, then you can go in the playroom. You might go, that's not fair. You'll say, do you know what? I don't even want to use that language. I don't even want to say that, darling. But my problem is I'm asking you to pick up your coat. You're choosing not to do it. So I'm going to have to say that we're going to have to stop the next thing until you do it. I mean, the, the easy thing would be just for you to put your coat away. But that's your choice. You've chosen not to do that today. So, okay. That's one. Now, let's say the same behavior is happening every day long. You're coming in you're like, the fucking coat is still not being put away. Before you get in the front door, you'd say, right, guys, what's the expectation we get in the front door with our coats? Hang them up. Thanks so much. So kids definitely need reminding of things and habits. So even now when I come in the house, the first thing I'll say when we get pull into the drivers, I'll say, guys, remember, coat, shoes, bags in the right place, please. Mm. So when they come in and they might get distracted, I'll say, what do we just say? Coats, bags, uh, shoes in the right place. Let's go. And they'll come back and they'll do it. But just like you and me, like how often do we go and take our shoes off, drop the keys on the side and go to do what we meant to do? Oh, no, the shoe, my shoes don't go there. My keys actually go on the hook and I've not done it. So it's normal behavior in many ways. They're not, you know, be realistic around what's normal. So back to punishment. Punishment is a way of controlling our children to do things. And it works, but it has long-term negative impacts. Okay. Also, what happens with punishment, which is really interesting. So let's let me paint a scenario. Your um, your child's pulled all the books off the bookshelf. Okay, 
And you turn around and you say, right, you are not going to your best friend's birthday party tomorrow. How rude are you? How disrespectful that you've done that. My book's in my office. You know, that there's no way I'm accepting that. I'm really angry with you. Okay. Then you say to your child, they've got to put them back. They put them back in a messy, awkward way, throw them around the room. Maybe don't even do it. Now we're at a point where the child's not going to the party tomorrow. Now your child's really angry. And that's the parent. You've got to follow through because you said this was going to happen. You need to make sure they know that you're serious when you say something. So now you've got 24 hours of a child giving you hell because they're not going to party tomorrow. And the whole time they're now on the floor rolling around. You're so mean. I'm not going to that party. It's my best friend's party. All of my friends are going. And the whole conversation becomes about how you have not let them go to the party. You tell me how there's any learning there around those books off the bookshelf. Mm. Uh, no, so then the joke of it is, is we're now stood there going, hang on, how am I getting in trouble? That I'm you've pulled all my books off the bookshelf. I'm now the one getting in trouble from you telling me how bad I am not to go to my friend's party. But you started with taking the books off the bookshelf. So it doesn't the whole thing doesn't work because the child then becomes angry and annoyed at you for not going to go to the party. Not Hmm, maybe I shouldn't take the books off the bookshelf. So the whole purpose of why we punished is completely lost. Does that make sense? Yeah, a lot. I wonder how it would work with teenagers if you're kind of just coming to this sort of work now. I remember when I was 13, I stole some tickets from someone's bag to a part to a some like party thing. Me and my mm. friend decided at PE in our PE lesson to go and steal the tickets that we knew this girl was selling uh apart from a lipstick that I stole from Superdrug it was the only thing I ever stole but my mum found out and this party it was um one of those big you know like parties and that weekend I had that party and then um party in the park from Capital FM and my mum grounded me that whole weekend I wasn't allowed to go to either one I I still feel the pain of what I missed out on that weekend with all my friends. And my other friend who was also caught doing the same thing, wasn't grounded and was allowed to go. Mm -hmm. And I never stole again because I was like, if my mum ever find, finds out, I'll just be that, that it, it, this wasn't worth it. How would you deal with something like that without punishment? Because I know there are people yeah. watching, listening who have got teenagers and I'm interested to know how yeah. I would deal with something like that. Okay. So first thing here is you're a good person, Lauren. And you stole some tickets, okay? Because you were a normal teenager. Teenagers do things that they're not meant to do sometimes. As part of who we're meant to be as teenagers, we're meant to break boundaries, we're meant to push lines, we're meant to do this, we're meant to drink when we're not meant to drink, right? So this, your behaviour was very normal and expected for a teenager. That was okay, no. Is it normal? Is there anything wrong with you? Are you a broken human? No. Okay, so my child stole some tickets. Um, if my child stole some tickets okay so the, the joke is if my child stole some tickets I think they'd tell me they stole them that's the first thing but that's a different topic so yes, if my child of how you parented them up until their teenage yes, years and that's yeah. a very different situation yeah so let's say that there's a family where they stole and you found the tickets now the first thing you'd do is you would step back and you would take a moment and think think okay so they stole the tickets you'd be really disappointed you'd feel disappointment You'd be upset. You'd be sad. You'd feel all those feelings and let yourself feel them, but not in front of your child because you want to go to your child with a plan, with a solution and with a mummy's got this. There's, there's, there's an outcome to this situation, right? 
Uh, so you'd let yourself have all those emotions. You might call your partner and talk about how, oh, God, God, God. And then you would talk to your child and you'd say, hey, we need to have a chat. Say, um, I found these tickets. Can you explain to me what's gone on? And depending how you ask the question, your child would deny that they ever stole the tickets. Okay. If you asked it in the right way, then they would say, yeah, I took the tickets out of Jessica's bag. And you'll say, okay, yeah. What, what are we thinking about this situation? And they'll go, I've stolen them out of her and she's looking for them and I really don't know what to do. And you say, yeah, I can see that's a real challenging situation to be in. What's your thoughts right now? I don't know. I feel really bad. I don't, I've hidden them in my room because I don't know what I'm meant to do with them. I can't even go. And, and I feel, yeah, I'm, I'm in big trouble. Right, well, the fact that you know that you weren't meant to take them is a, is a great start. The fact that you're now here going, shit, I shouldn't have done this, mum. Okay, we've learned our lesson. We know that this wasn't the right thing to do. The fact that you're feeling like this right now shows that you know this is the right thing to do. In that moment, Lauren, your child's learned. In that exact moment, I need to punish her. I'm not gonna, she, she has learned that she doesn't want to do that again. Okay? So I don't need to punish. All I need to do now is offer her support. So say, okay, so what, what can we do? You could say, I have to say, I'm really gutted that you did it. I'm a bit gutted. And then you might even be tempted to go into um, lecture mode. If you're going to do that, you say, I need to take, I'm going to step away five minutes. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. And I can see you already am aware of your behavior. And I don't want to make you feel bad. I don't need to make you feel any worse. Okay. So something that my kids make me do, which is really funny. They're telling me something. They tell me everything, right? So if they're telling me anything, good, bad, whatever, I'm very good at not speaking the wrong thing, but my face does something. And they'll say, mom, you don't say anything bad, but your face does something. Your face says something bad. <laughs> so, and I don't know I'm doing it right. So now when they've got something to tell me, they go, we're going to tell you, but I just need you to hide your face. <laughs> so, so I go, right, are you ready? And she'll go, yeah. So she'll tell me, I'll be like that. I tell me <laughs> and I'll do my face and I'll come out, I'll go, thank you so much for telling me. And then we'll deal with it. Because apparently my face gives off vibes. Love that. Um, so, so then you, so then you brainstorm what we're going to do so we can return them. We can write a letter of apology. Whatever. There's so many different options. What are we going to do? How, how do we become accountable and responsible for this mistake? So a final question that I have in, because I think we've gone through some really good exam, like actual examples, which are really good. Um, grandparents. Yes. Grandparents often think that we should parent our children the way they parented us because we turned out fine. Yeah. And um they're not on board with what we ask and how they how we ask them. Like if if our kids are gonna be with them sometimes. And I'm not up for the whole well, don't leave your kids with them then, because that's ridiculous and, and children definitely benefit from being with grandparents in a huge yeah. way, even if they are giving them loads of chocolate. Take note, mother. <laughs> but when you know I've said to my mum before things like you know can you not use the terminology good girl or good boy and my mum is like Braxton thinks that his nana is the best person in the entire world he wants to marry her she's his best friend he is obsessed with her oh my god she sounds gorgeous she is she's the absolute best like no one loves like she loves and in that her version of love it's let me give you everything let me give you all the chocolate let me let me give you all the praise. Like, you are amazing. This picture is the best picture I've ever seen. You are the best boy in the world. 
And and obviously he loves that. But okay. it's not what we're trying to do now. And I know there'll be people listening thinking the same, like my mum's amazing and they're doing their best and they're not doing anything wrong. For, like they're just being the most loving grandmother. But actually I need them to not use this language because then they're going to come home to me and not understand why I'm not praising them. Right. So kids are very, very adaptable. They're very adaptable. And they can experience one thing in one house and another thing in another house. Mm. Now, ideally, it'd be nice if she did do it, but it's fine, actually, because what happens is the hub of the home, the hub of their life, which is their home, has got them. They feel secure. They feel safe. They feel confident. They feel believed in. They feel that they can be their truest self. And that's within the family home. So when kids go off to school and they've got point charts and star rubbish and all this, Mm -hmm. they can take it. Now, what would happen is Brax might come home and say, Mummy, Nanny really praises me. And you'll say, yes, that's how Nanny chooses to parent. And that's that's how Nanny does. That's lovely. I actually want to empower you to understand you uh, and to love yourself and believe in yourself. So Mummy's doing it a different way. Mm. Now, they will feel, the only language I can think of, Lauren, is they will feel safer and more secure in the family home. And they want to live with Nana forever because she's praising them. When they don't do what they're meant to do, Nanny will respond with punishment because pre- with praise comes punishment. It's the only way you can do it. Otherwise, there's no, there's no control. Mm. So it's all very well when they're doing the right thing, but when they're not doing the right thing, they will not like it. True. Right. I think this will really resonate for people actually listening to you talk who are divorced or you separated yeah. and, 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 you know, they're doing, cause I've got a lot of friends and clients who they're doing everything they can to give their child the best yes. that they possibly can of themselves. But then the child goes to the partner it's very and common. completely different. I think this will give them a lot of hope that what they're yeah. doing is actually still doing something. Absolutely. And also a real, uh, that's it's a really good point, And I see this a lot. The other point is when they then come back from the other home, and the child comes into the home and they are feral and messing around and not listening and sugared up and had too much um, technology and they're overtired. The biggest point there is empathy and understanding because what we mm. sometimes do is we get annoyed with the child. Mm. That's not how you, that's how you do it at your dad's house, not here. And we come on really firm and big. That's not fair. Mm. Child comes home, they're a mess. Empathy, love, empathy, love, reset, empathy, love, reset, empathy, love, reset. Next day they wake up and they're where they should be. I love that. I think that will resonate with a lot of people in terms of how we kind of manage one. There's so much frustration from a lot of my clients and friends who are in that situation of, well, I'm trying all this and then they go to their dad and this is happening and that's happening and and is it going to ruin them? But actually you saying the hub of their life is yeah. your home and that's where you build that, I guess what Daniel Siegel called the four S's, the mm-hmm. seeing secure, safe and soothed, um, which is what you said earlier. So, um, yeah, I love that. And really good as well, just to know, you know, because a lot of people are kind of trying to control the grandparents, you know, don't do this and do do this. And actually there's an element of you just have to kind of relinquish control when they go to their grandparents. Your grandparent, your parents are helping you out by taking the kids. And yes, there has to be some expectations yeah. <laughs> um, of, you know, don't don't ply them with sugar the entire day. Um, but on the whole, they're going to benefit from being with grandparents more than yeah. not you not letting them go. And it's the same, I think, with, you know, I know people are like, oh, I don't like the chart systems in school. So, you know, I'm not going to send them to school or I'll send them to, and actually, like you're saying, like there are things that happen in the real world that our children 
almost need to know how to manage and deal with and then come back home and know that how we deal with it is different and we can find other ways around that and we can find our own rules that is true the the only thing I'd add is some children are more sensitive to it than others and being aware of that Mm. so some children really that setting does not work for them in school really it messes with them a lot um and you would have to know that about your child and about the school um also you can teach your children really teach them how the systems don't work so Mm. my kids at one of my kids school still has that system and totally understands it doesn't work yeah and I'll never forget my daughter who's now 14 nearly 14 she um she when she was eight years old she said to me she came home one day she goes mom I get it so what do you get darling she says I get why star charts don't work I said why what have you what have you seen she went well and I think it was something, his name was Little Johnny or whatever. Uh, Johnny, uh, when he walks down the hallway, holds the door open for Miss Jones because she always gives a star for anyone that holds the door open. Mm. But when Miss Jones isn't there, he lets the door swing in your face. So said, said, he's only doing it, Mum, for a star. I said, yes. I said, and how many beautiful things do you do in the day that aren't recognised? How many things do you do that are not recognised? Kind, good things. I said, people don't praise you for those. You do them because it's the right thing to do inside. And I, and this was so significant, Lauren, for me when my kids were at primary school because I would get text messages from random parents saying beautiful things that my kids had done, that my kids had never come home and told me they'd done because mm. they did it because it was just the right thing to do. So I had a lady who messaged me. Some boys had thrown chewing gum in this girl's hood, her new coat. And laughed. And Tyler went and picked her up and went and cleaned all the chewing gum off her coat with her. Oh. Tyler didn't come home and tell me, Mum, at break time today, I cleaned a girl's coat. Because it's nothing to tell. It's just the right thing to do. I've had messages, I mean, honestly, probably about 10 messages from different people over the years. Um, and one was this girl was being bullied at school and Brooke stepped in and stopped it. And she didn't come home and tell me. I got a text message from a parent. Mm. And I said, Brooks, what happened at school today? It was all nothing, nothing really. So what about the football scenario? She went, how do you know? I said, oh, I got a text message from a parent. She went, oh, well, it was nothing really. These boys were picking on this girl and I just stopped them. And like she'd gone up to these boys and taken the ball off them and like she's very strong, as you know, so she's powerful. And she didn't do it to get praise. She didn't do it to get recognition. No teacher saw. She just did it because it's the right thing to do. So that's the moral compass that I mentioned earlier. Mm. The teaching... The right thing, not because you're a good girl, because it feels right. And I guess that comes down to, like you said at the very beginning, modelling. Because I think generally in parenting, what we model to our children, how we behave is how they end up behaving. I, I can see yeah. that in, in how I've grown up. You know, the certain behaviours or things that my parents did that I naturally, you know, we get moulded and conditioned. It's all my work is about this. It's like breaking down that conditioning. So we want to do that in a positive way and model positive behaviours to our children and hope that they want to behave like that. Yeah. And if they're not, that's also okay. But it's about stepping back and thinking, what am I not teaching? What mm-hmm. bit have I missed? What 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 do I need to give more of? So there's mm-hmm. so many things that I work with my children on all the time that they don't even know I'm doing. Where I'm like, that bit they need a bit more of, that bit I need to teach them that. I need to teach them a bit more empathy. I need to teach them to hold boundaries a bit more. What do I need to teach them? And I'm like, on the back line, sort of just looking, what do I need to do? I do it every, it's funny, every January I do it and I have a uh, membership called The Inner Circle and I talk about different topics each month. 
and January's coming and it's what are we going to teach our kids this year? So what are the things in us that we want to give them a bit more of a bit, just to help them a little bit navigate so they become 25 and these really confident, empowered, self-believing, truest self-humans. Mm. What do I need? What, I, what do I need to put in there? I love that. Tell me about the inner circle and where people can find you and work with you. Um, so you can work with me in several ways. Uh, the first one is one-to-one coaching where um, we do one-to-one coaching together as a fam, uh, with the parents and uh, me. Sometimes both parents want to do it, don't want to do it. And that's okay. I can work really well with just one parent. Um, love doing one-to-one coaching. Amazing results. Love it, love it, love it. Then I run workshops, but not so often. I've got a workshop coming up in January about talking to children about sex, which is very important and much earlier than we think and much more detailed than we'd ever want to believe is true. But there is real method to it and it absolutely, absolutely works. And the detrimental effects of not talking to children about sex is so big. Mm. Um, So I have workshops. And then I also have the inner circle. Inner Circle is a monthly membership that you join. And every month I talk about different topics. Um, and I have guest speakers come in and I do two Q&As a month. So you can come in and you can ask questions and we talk. And it's a lovely community. Um, lots of great conversations. And the reason I started the Inner Circle was because I'd finished working with clients and they were like, but Josie, I still want to keep learning. I still want to know a bit more. So that was why the Inner Circle started. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's been going for three years now it's really longer four years and it's really um it's a really great uh place to be um how people end up ending up in the inner circle most of the time is they do coaching first and then want to continue their learning or you can just join the inner circle but it's a very deep quick learning curve and there's a lot to do to almost learn where you might want to be yeah yeah well we've done both so you've done both yes yeah yeah it's been great and actually something I'd highly recommend is we started doing the sessions together me and Daniel and now we're doing them separately yeah which we find much more helpful because then it doesn't end up as like a a bashing session of but Daniel didn't do this right this week he didn't listen to you and Daniel's like we she didn't do yeah do our own sessions and focus on what we need to focus on for ourselves yeah and go forward in the week and do you know what Lauren a lot of couples find that actually before you I was on a call with um a couple and they normally work on their own but there was a group conversation like it's so hard three of us we can't all speak uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah some people do find that too well I think it just means that we can work on our own shit without getting triggered by the other yeah. person about what we've done wrong yeah we absolutely can, we can just go away and work on it so yeah that's really well thank you so much I've thank you having you here and um yeah hopefully we will um hear more from you and i will put your details in the show notes so if people do want to work with you privately or in a circle um but just mention your website quickly for anyone who wants to um positive parenting with josie.com thank you thanks lauren have a great day I hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconditioned. I am honestly so grateful to each and every person that tunes in. Thank you also for taking responsibility for your own well-being. You should know that just by choosing to listen to podcasts like this that further your well-being, you're moving more deeply into abundance consciousness. 
Now, don't forget, I have a bunch of free resources over at laurenvacneen.co.uk, as well as every recommendation you could ever need in regards to your well-being on the LV Recommends page, all categorized for your ease. Thank you also to our sponsors. These episodes would not be possible without them, so make sure to check them out and get some pretty awesome discounts on the show notes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get updated each time a new one is released. Thank you. I appreciate you.